0: Hello, and thanks for tuning in. I really hope that by listening to this, you gain something new, something positive, whether it's lessons about God and who He is, or you grow in your love for him just growing in your knowledge for him all of that is why we're making these episodes we're gonna start doing some more pumping these out kind of reviving it a little bit and see if uh, it gains more traction in which case you can expect some great topics such as should christians drink can christians smoke or smoke weed Uh, is why don't christians gamble you know, all, all these kind of questions that are related to how we live our lives as Christians and why we make the decisions that we make and what are the things that we're allowed to do, able to do. Um, and I know that what I just said might be triggering for some. What are we allowed to do? Uh, I hope that that raised some red flags there. And so you'll be interested to tune in and see how we're going to approach those subjects. But we are entering into a season where we're going to be talking about identity. Uh, last year, our theme was Committed, and we wanted to talk about what it meant to be committed to God and committed to the body of believers. Before that, our theme was Dive In, because that's where it all starts, is diving into God, diving into the Word, diving into your relationship with Him. And Now we're going to talk about identity, and that's because culture really attacks identity. Culture tells us things about our identity that... I don't believe are true, and we're going to spend the next while, it could be a whole year, it could be less, we're going to talk about identity. That's going to be the theme of of everything that we're doing, the direction that God's going to teach us some great lessons. And you know, when we start talking about identity and the identity of ourselves and our identities in Christ, it's really important to begin by talking about the identity of God. There's a quote here I want to read by Thomas Terrance it says when we speak of knowing God it is important to understand that we are not talking about abstract or speculative thought concerning God or mystical experiences but about coming alive to God through Jesus Christ and surrendering ourselves to him in grateful love so all the things that we do to learn about God and grow in our knowledge of him it's not just for the sake of being smarter or for apologetics or for being able to explain what you believe very clearly and succinctly all those things are, are great they're fun but it's really about coming alive in our love for God and our study of him is an act of worship and devotion and if we view it that way it will never be dry that that we are learning about a living and loving God and from the moment we first learn about him and begin to learn about him we never stop until the day we die there's always more of him and even in the new creation in the new heaven the new earth when when we're spending eternities with God we're just going to be always learning about him there's he's infinite there's always going to be more to learn about God and so we start doing it now we love it we study out of an act of love for him we research we pray we listen, we ask for him to reveal himself to us, and he does, out of a place of wanting to devote ourselves to him. So everyone has questions about God's character. Who is he? What does he do? Why do people think God cares about us? And those are the kind of questions we're going to try to talk about in this series of identity and talking about the identity of God. I need to start by explaining that we believe that God is a three-in-one true wine God. You know, we're evangelical Christians. We follow orthodox theological. By orthodox, I'm not talking about the wing of Christianity. I'm talking about truth, dogma that cannot be changed or touched without having great implications on what we know about God. And one of those things is that God is a three-in-one true wine God. First of all, how do we even know about God? When you think about it, it's quite miraculous that the magnificent creator who is bigger than all created things is even slightly perceivable. In reality, the only reason we know anything about God is because he has revealed himself to humanity out of a desire to be relationally connected with us. We call this revelation. Everything we know about God is what has been revealed to us through his divine revelation. We gain insight to who God is through different avenues, such as scripture, spiritual disciplines, and through other people. Nothing revealed to us through prayer can go against what we know about God from scripture. That's important to establish, and that's something that is very evangelical about my belief system, is that the Bible is the... Word of God, inspired, came from him, was given to humans as a great, wonderful, blessing, revelation of who he is and what he has done and what he will do. So that's why we believe that nothing anyone learns about God now through prayer, through direct revelation, through whatever it may be, through study, can go against what we know about God from Scripture. Still, we need to pursue God through all three of these avenues. We need to read Scripture because nothing we learn through prayer can go against what is said in Scripture. And we need others to keep us accountable to what is true and to give more opportunities to learn about God from people who God is also speaking to. Let's start this conversation with the concept of I am. In Exodus three thirteen through 15 We're often perplexed by this moment in Scripture. It is the moment that God gave humanity a name to call Him. It's unfathomable that the huge and holy God of creation would even care about us little creatures scrambling around here on the earth, hurting each other and causing chaos. But He not only cares about us from afar, He reveals Himself on a personal level to anyone who is willing to listen. He reveals himself on such a personal level, he, he gives us a name to call him. So what we learn from this unique moment in Exodus is nothing small. Of all the names he could have said, God chose to remind his people about his unchanging nature. Through this little phrase, I am, we are blessed and reminded that he is consistent. His wisdom and promises span the ages And so he's not going to change. He's not going to suddenly become a different God. The implication of that is we are not serving a different God than Moses was serving in those days. The God of the New Testament, the God of our time, is not a different God than the God of the Old Testament, than the God of Moses, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob. We worship a God who has a consistent identity, he is never changing. And for this reason, it's good for us to always do everything we can to know more about him at all times. Because the knowledge we gain from God isn't going to expire. It's not going to be like, oh yeah, he was like that. You know, you're know, you kind of learning some old stuff, though. He's like this now. A way to love God is to know him to the best of our abilities. And here on this earth, we are limited by our senses and our humanness which prevents us from fully knowing God. But even with those limitations, we can spend our entire lives seeking to know Him better and to gain a better understanding of His identity. And we will never run out because we are limited. We can't have all of God. God is unlimited. So He reveals lots of Himself to us, and we soak up all that we can And that's why it's good to always be seeking a better understanding of the identity of our God. The Trinity is a good example of something that our human minds simply cannot completely perceive. It's that God, while being one God, experiences a relational existence of three persons in one. Regardless of whether we can fully grasp this part of God's identity or not, It is good to study and think about the Trinity to know God better. That's an important subject I'm going to keep hitting on this because even though we can't know all of God, even though we can't grasp every single detail of God, that doesn't mean we should throw our hands in the air and give up. We should still seek and pursue. It's still good to think about these things and learn about these things. So when confronting the mystery of the Trinity, it's extremely difficult to explain how things are. Instead, it's always easier to identify the common misunderstandings of the Trinity or the way things are not. You know, all these these allegory explanations that people give, like an egg or water, all these different pictures people try to paint of the Trinity, each of them falls short, unfortunately. There's just nothing in our realm that can perfectly explain who god is who the trinity how the trinity is but i can explain a few common misunderstandings in order to help bring some light to the way things are so for example modalism it's a view of the trinity that that teaches each of the three parts father son and spirit are a different manifestation of god which means that they're all the same person, just in a different mode. That's where modalism comes from. It's one person in different modes. So think of a person who puts on a different mask each time they do a different activity. It would be like that. But true doctrine teaches that the three parts are all the same coexisting being of three persons. There are other schools of thought which go against dogmatic belief in the Trinity, Among them are tritheism and subordinationism. Tritheism is the belief that there are three different gods. So, Father, Son, Spirit are each three different entities not connected. Subordinationism teaches that there is one supreme part of the Godhead, and the other parts fall under him in authority and stature. Each of these heresies boil down to having great implications on our salvation. You know, a battle that the early church fought for a long time was against a belief in Arianism, which essentially taught that the part of the Trinity we call Jesus was created by the Father, which would therefore make him subordinate to the Father. So that's a huge problem because it's important for the cross and for our salvation and for all these things logically to work. That Jesus was not created, that the Son was not created, but that he is a part of the Godhead 3-in-1, equal with the Spirit and the Father. That's just an example, but each one of these heresies boiled down to having great implications on our salvation. Because humans have a limited capacity to understand and a strong drive to know everything— We tend to fill in logical holes and make things up to bring understanding. This leads to false doctrine being created. And we need to accept that we cannot fully grasp every single part of God. He's just too big. Let's recognize the blessing that we can even understand anything about God at all. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a privilege, not a right. It's a great blessing that God has revealed any part of himself to us, let alone all the details that we get to know about him and come to know about him in this life so instead of feeling overwhelmed in the negative sense that we'll never be able to grasp all of god we should look forward to the fact that we can honor and worship him by studying him here on this earth and then spend our eternities with him studying him even more so let's look at god the father when we say the first person of the trinity you have to remember we're not talking about importance or strength they're all co-equals within the trinity But when Jesus was ascending, and he summarized his mission into one phrase, that is, the the Great Commission, he commanded us, that is, you and me, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He listed the Father first. That's the reason why we call the Father the first person of the Trinity. So if we're to define roles for each part of the Trinity, the Father is the power of creation. But still, it's clear that he co-created with the Son and the Spirit, since he's one Godhead. A good way to understand it is that everything comes from the Father, through Christ, in the Holy Spirit. God is also a perfect Father. He's the perfect Father. Many of us have a hard time with this, not only because we have imperfect fathers, or imperfect relationships with our fathers, and so calling God Father is painful, But because father is such an intimate term that we need to grow into understanding as we grow closer to God. God is involved with us personally, emotionally, and even sacrificially. Since he is the I am, he will always be there. He's not like an earthly father that can falter or quit. God will never do that. And he loves each of us as his children. So as you hear all this, some food for thought, some questions to ask yourself. What do people mean when they talk about God the Father? For some of us, the word Father brings up painful memories. Is it hard for you to see God as your Father? Has your dad here on earth tarnished the title Father for you? How does God the Father work in your life? That wraps up this first monday recap i'm glad that you listened in i hope that you were blessed by this and that you at least got something to think about to be encouraged by or to be challenged in you can join us in person every first monday here at salem first nazarene at 7 p.m where we do a little bit of worship and a little bit of teaching and remember to stay tuned in to the podcast feed here because we're going to be putting out some great content that is going to really have an impact (music)